the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. We're continuing on today in uh, the book of Revelation. We're taking a look at this letter to the church in Sardis, and there's something unique about this letter to the church in Sardis. As we're reading it together, see if you can pick up on what it is. I'll tell you what it is during the sermon, so if you miss it, don't feel bad. You're going to find out what it is. But see if you can perceive or pick up what's different about this letter to the church in Sardis when we're reading it together. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is a letter to the church in Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What would things look like if Satan gained control of a city? Well, over 50 years ago, the Presbyterian minister, Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered his own scenario in a weekly sermon broadcast that was broadcast on CBS radio across the nation. Barnhouse speculated about his own city of Philadelphia, the city in which he ministered at a Presbyterian church there. And what he said is this, If Satan took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed. Pornography would be banned. Pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There'd be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. You see what the point is? You see what Barnhouse was trying to communicate with that illustration? The devil has no problem with the appearance of success or even the appearance of morality. 
He has no problem with success in the church, full churches, so long as Christ is not central and the Holy Spirit is not present. This was a problem for the church in Sardis. This was a church that was known as being alive, but this was a church that was dead. And if you saw it, this is the first church that we've encountered that hasn't had something positive spoken about them from Jesus. It was a church that simply had rebuke and condemnation from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an intense letter. Like all of the letters to the churches, Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. He is speaking straightforwardly to his churches. He loves them simply too much for him to sugarcoat the truth that this church in Sardis that appeared to be successful was in fact dead. And this was a deep problem. So because of that, there were no words of encouragement given. Instead, words of challenge. And I hope and I trust and I pray that as we hear this letter that was written to the church in Sardis, that we will allow ourselves to be convicted and that we will allow ourselves to trust in Jesus. So let's work our way through the letter. It follows, for the most part, the same structure as these letters that have come before. It starts with an introduction. In verse 1, verse 1 starts with, So the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is a reference to two things. You may remember that Jesus appears to John in Revelation chapter 1. There are several images that are used to describe him. One of those images is given to each church as an introduction to the letter. This one focuses specifically on the the fact that Jesus is the one that holds the seven spirits of God, that he holds the seven stars. There's an interpretation that's given to us in Revelation chapter 1. The seven stars refer to the seven angels of the churches that are being written to. So Jesus is holding on to these churches that are written to in Revelation. And he also holds the Holy Spirit of God, which is what the seven spirits of God refers to. Seven is a number of completion in the scriptures. And so this refers to the perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's likely that this is emphasized because of the deadness of the congregation to which he is writing. The church in Sardis is dead, and the only thing that would be able to make this church alive, because it is that they are dead, is the Holy Spirit of God. God is the only one who can make sinners come to life through trust in Jesus Christ if he gives to them uh, salvation in the Holy Spirit. God is the only one that can make a church alive when it is dead. It's not through human effort, it's not through human plans, it's not by human innovation, it's not by budgets or membership size or programs, it's does the Holy Spirit of God work and enliven in the midst of a church? Let me illustrate this with a story that I I think is great and I I think is really helpful and it's about Erwin Lutzer, maybe I've told you this before, maybe you've heard this before, but Erwin Lutzer, when he was the pastor of Moody Church, downtown Chicago, one of the things that he would do to his interns is this. The young men that were, that were studying under him, that were planning on being pastors themselves, at one point in every internship, he would have all of the interns come with him to a cemetery at, in a certain place in the city of Chicago. And as they were there at the cemetery, he would say to his interns, now offer a sermon. And obviously this was a little bit confusing, but he insisted that the interns preach a sermon to the cemetery, and so they would listen, because he was their boss, right? So he, they would start to preach, and after they would preach a sermon, he'd be like, now offer an invitation. Now tell people they could come join the church. And this was even more confusing, and he would get all sorts of very odd looks, but he would insist, no, offer an invitation. Tell tell them whoever wants to respond, come forward to the front here. Trust in Jesus. They would do it. No one ever accepted that invitation in all of those years of preaching that the interns did at the cemetery in Chicago. And there's a good reason for that, right? Everyone that they were preaching to was dead. 
And Luther had a point for this exercise. He would always follow it up by saying, this is your preaching unless the Holy Spirit uses it. Do you see what he's saying? That preaching is in vain unless God does the work. Everything that I'm saying is in vain unless the Holy Spirit enlivens, unless the Holy Spirit convicts, unless the Holy Spirit calls to, con- calls to repentance, unless the Holy Spirit calls to Christ. If not for the work of the Holy Spirit, you just got a dead man preaching to dead people. The Holy Spirit is necessary to make alive, and this is something that the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes alive when we are dead. This is an amazing truth that the gospel gives to us, that that those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the scripture is consistent about this, that, that life not trusting in Jesus Christ is not just a life of sickness, not just a life of sorrow, it's death. Being apart from Christ Jesus is death. And so what you need to do is be made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. This can't happen and does not happen through human innovation or human effort. It comes because of the sheer, total, complete grace of God. And so what it is that the church in Sardis needs is the Holy Spirit to make a people alive when it was that they were dead. And then, right after the introduction, which is usual and typical for us, comes the surprising part of the letter. There's no words of encouragement. Every church thus far has heard the Lord Jesus say something positive about them. The humble church in Smyrna, in fact, had nothing negative said about them. No words of challenge or rebuke. And as the letter begins, it actually sounds like maybe there are going to be some words of encouragement at the very beginning. Because they have a reputation of being alive. Let me explain to you what kind of letter the the book of Revelation is. It's a technical word. I'm just going to use it and I'm going to explain what it means. The church... Uh, the, the book of Revelation is what's called an encyclical letter. The meaning is this. There was one copy of the book of Revelation written when Jesus spoke it to the apostle John. And the way that the churches received it was this way. It was sent to the first church in the list here, the church in Ephesus. They would receive the letter as they would gather together on the Lord's day to hear the word of God. This letter would be read in its entirety. And after Ephesus heard the letter read, then they would send it on to the second church, the church in Smyrna. They were the second church to receive it. After they heard this letter read, then they would send it on to the third church, the church in Pergamum. After they got it, they would send it to the next church and the next and the next. And so as this congregation received the letter, the way that they would hear it read is this. The letter would be read starting with chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, a glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, because the letter and the message to each individual church are words that the Spirit's saying to the churches, every letter to every church would then be read. The people in Sardis would first hear the words written to the church in Ephesus, and then to Smyrna, and then to Pergamum, and then to Thyatira, and then the the attention would turn to their church in particular. And you can imagine what it must have been like for the congregation receiving those letters. The letter arrives at the church in Sardis. They've authenticated the fact that these words were in fact written by the apostle John. The one that was beloved to them and well known to them. They have authenticated the fact that he has written down these words that have come to him from Jesus. And they've been hearing the message that the Lord Jesus has been speaking to those other churches. Perhaps there's even been some whispering that morning as people have been hearing some of the other letters read and Jesus' words spoken to other churches. Maybe as people were standing together, they started speaking to one another, as sometimes can happen in Sunday services. Maybe they started talking and they're like, you know what? I'm not all that surprised. I heard that that church in Ephesus isn't as loving as it once was. Oh, you know what? 
I've, I've, heard, I've heard about the fact that that, that, uh, that, that church was, uh, was allowing false teaching to creep in. You know, I heard that that was happening. That's not good. Maybe some of the chatter would have been encouraging words. You know, yeah, I'd heard that Smyrna was so weak that it was facing persecution that it might die. It's so encouraging to hear that Jesus is upholding that congregation. And I wonder what kind of expectation would have rolled over the congregation as they hear Jesus speak the name of their church. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. Jesus is getting to us now. It may have been that they were like, well, you know, we're probably going to get some of those good words. I mean, you know our, our reputation, right? I mean, everybody knows that we're a successful church. Everybody knows that this is the church that's alive. We're the church that has it going on. And at first, that sounds like what Jesus is saying. Jesus says in the second part of verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. Ah, somebody might have thought in the midst of the congregation in Sardis, he's heard too. This is the alive church. But then there's a really stunning reversal, isn't there? I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Man, that's a turn of phrase. That's a harrowing and convicting turn of phrase. I mean, this is the kind of church that is growing, that's passionate, that has big plans, big growth, a big building, big budgets. The pastor of this particular church was a frequent conference speaker. The members of smaller congregations might be making their way to this kind of church. This is the one that's talked about. This is the one where the pastor gets to be on the evening news. This is the one that people know about and emulate and try to be like because this is the church that has a reputation for being alive. Christ is not preached and the Holy Spirit isn't present. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that all large churches are dead churches. I'm not saying that all churches with good reputations are are bad churches. I'm not saying that all churches with reputations of being alive are actually dead. But we should pay attention to these words because this congregation was a church that had a reputation for being alive but was actually dead. What I am saying is that God doesn't judge by human standards of success. God doesn't judge by outward appearance. God always looks at the heart. This is the way all throughout Scripture Do you remember in Israel when the Midianites swarmed like locusts across the land of Israel? Do you remember how the Lord God determined that he was going to defeat them? He called his servant Gideon, somebody who seemed not to trust well, at least at first. He asked for sign after sign that the Lord actually was going to go with him. And having been convinced that he was to lead the people, Gideon amassed an army and the Lord did something totally unexpected. He reduced the army to 300 men. And he chose the ones that determined that they were going to lap water like a dog. Those that were the most unprotected as they went to water to drink. Those that would be perhaps the last people that you would choose to be a part of your army. These are the 300 that make up the force that's going to drive away this hostile invading army. And then the Lord gave to Gideon no known, no known tactics of war at the time. And by the power of God, 
the Midianites were destroyed by this puny army of 300. Remember when Jesse brought his sons to Samuel to see who would be anointed king? Jesse left his youngest son in the field. You see, that youngest one, he was the run to the litter. He was the least impressive. He was the one least likely to be anointed king. And yet, what Samuel said as he looked at all of the sons of Jesse was this. You judge by outward appearance. The Lord judges by the heart. Let me go to that runt and anoint him. Anoint David, king of Israel. And this David was the greatest king of Israel until Jesus came. When all of sin and death and the devil was to be defeated, how did the father accomplish it? By lifting his voice and melting the earth? The Psalms tell us that he lifts his voice, the earth melts. God has so much power that he can lay bare the foundations of the earth with the breath of his nostrils. And if he will just raise his voice, the earth will melt away. Is that how, how the Lord God determined that he was going to defeat sin and death and the devil? No. Instead, he sent his son, who was born of a virgin, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, an infant child standing against all of the forces of evil and darkness in this dark world. And Jesus, how did he conquer? Not by growing into a warrior and amassing a greater army than the army of the Romans, but by dying, a criminal's death, a death on a cross. The congregation in Sardis had a reputation for being alive. But the devil has no problem allowing you to have a reputation for life if you are really dead. The reputation that the church in Sardis had was one that was incorrect. They were spiritually dead and needed an infusion from the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know some of the most potent churches in the world right now are churches that most everyone has no idea that they exist? These are some of the potent churches, the ones that are committed to God and to his ways. These are churches that might sometimes be described as underground churches. Let me tell you a story I heard from a couple of missionaries. I was at a church hearing, uh, hearing testimony of some missionaries that this particular church was supporting. They couldn't tell us what country that they were operating in because they were serving in a country where preaching the gospel is illegal. And so we understood that this was a place that they couldn't tell us about, but we were enraptured by this story nonetheless. They talked about how they were called to the mission field. They're living in this particular place, in this particular territory, in this particular area. They did not tell the government that they were going there to preach the gospel, as you can imagine. It's not allowed. So they didn't go apply for a visa to preach the gospel. Instead, they both have other jobs in the midst of a group of people. And they said, one of our tasks was to figure out how it was that we could serve the church. But we needed to find out where the church was. And there are no churches that are open at all. And so instead, we started living among this group of people, doing our work that we were doing, doing the regular jobs that we're, uh, that we're supposed to be doing in this particular area. And we started dropping hints that we were Christians. We couldn't outwardly own it. We, we started dropping hints to people that, that we were Christians, that we were believers. And they said, becoming familiar with some of the people in our communities, in our areas, one person started to take an interest in us and started dropping hints back that he might be as well. They made the first move, saying that they were Christians. And and after a little bit, after a point where he trusted them, he started telling them that he was a Christian as well, that he was a part of a church. And they asked him, well, how do you get to this church? And he said, by accident. It's not a church that had a specific location. 
And so afraid was he of being discovered that he wasn't willing to tell them where it was that he was going to go to a church service. What he was implying to them was that they needed to follow him at a safe distance to get to the church where he was a member. And so that's what they decided to do. He left, and after a reasonable amount of time, they followed him, and he zigzagged all this way and that, making it look like he had a hundred different things to accomplish. And they, at a safe distance, started to do the same sort of thing. Finally, he darted into a particular room in one uh, quiet street, and they followed him in. As they stepped into the room, all the people there were nervous at first until this brother told them, it's okay, they're Christians too. They, they've come here on accident, just as we all have. And with that, a worship service began. And the missionary said, this small group of people meeting in a place that they could not disclose, this small group of people was nonetheless utterly captivated by Christ and his ways. They said the the praise was was deep, it was meaningful because it came from people that were potentially sacrificing everything just to sing praise to the name of Jesus. That the prayers were passionate, that that they were devoted, that they were along because these were people that knew that they needed Jesus. These were fresh converts, most of them, people who realized their own need for salvation. And as the missionaries were giving this report, they said God is doing mighty and powerful things in the midst of this small, humble, poor, afraid congregation. Some of the most potent churches in the world right now are those that we wouldn't even know exist. Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I've got to say, one of the things you know, I'm thankful for is that in this community, in this area, it, when I tell people that I'm the pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, many people know that this church exists. They know this or that thing about it. And usually they give to me a favorable report. Now, I'm the pastor, so they're not going to tell me terrible things that they think about this congregation if they feel those things. But they say good things. There seems to be a good reputation. I always get a good report. And I think that's a good thing. But the problem lies if we start to place trust in reputation, in number of members, in budgets or programs. The problem comes for us if we place our trust in anything less than God. In anything less than God, if the center of the church is anything less than Christ Jesus, if the Holy Spirit isn't present here, then it doesn't matter what kind of reputation we have. If the Holy Spirit isn't here, and if Christ is not preached, we're dead. And so part of our prayer must be, Lord, make me alive. Lord, make our church alive. Make us alive by the Holy Spirit. Let us trust Christ and not ourselves. Let us be devoted to you and to your ways because if Christ is not central and the Holy Spirit is not present, it doesn't matter what the reputation is. You might have a reputation for being alive and still be dead. And because this church in Sardis is dead, despite its reputation, Jesus has words of warning for them that are a part of his grace and goodness. Take a look at verses 2 and 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then... What you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. The church in Sardis was asleep, and it needed to wake up. They needed to strengthen what remained. And here, understanding a little bit of the city of Sardis can help us understand some of the words of Jesus to this church in the city of Sardis. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And I've got a few pictures just to tell you about the city of Sardis. The city of Sardis was on cliffs and had high walls. Um, 
And so this is a picture of where the city of Sardis was located. You can see the cliffs right there, and you can see that there's one that's actually the southern slope right there, which is a gentler slope, and surrounded on three sides is a much more sheer cliff face. Can we take a look at the next picture? There's still, to this day, some remnants of the walls that were built on top of that cliff. So not only was there a sheer cliff face, there were then walls, which left the city feeling as though it was impenetrable. Let's take a look at the final picture. And this also shows to you that there are some remains of what were walls built on that cliff face. Gives you a sense of where the city of Sardis was located. Because of the fact that it was 1,500 feet high atop of a ridge that was a part of a mountain. And because there was only one path down the ridge, and it was from the south, because that was the only approach to the city, and because the other three sides were of rock that was almost perpendicular to the valley valley below, the people of Sardis would keep guard only on one side of the city. They believed themselves to be impenetrable from any of the other three sides. They would only post guards on the southern side of the walls because that was the part that sloped. They didn't worry about getting approached from any other direction. The city gained a reputation of being invulnerable to outside attack, and they gloried in that status, an impenetrable city, one that is successful and safe. It was in the middle of the 6th century BC that, the, uh, that this kingdom that had Sardis as its capital decided to, to wage war against some of the surrounding Greek cities. They were led by a king named Croesus. And after subduing some of the Greek cities to the west, Croesus moved back to Sardis to spend the winter there. He dismissed his army, feeling that he was impenetrable in his fortress of Sardis, that no one would be able to take the city, and therefore he could regather his city, his army when the spring came to continue conquering Greek cities. He went to sleep, again believing that he'd be safe for the evening, but when he woke up, Sardis was overrun with Persians, and his kingdom was no more. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.